0: So I'll please stand. We'll sing hymn number 222, He Will Pilot Me. 222. It's at this time that the young children, uh, ages 2 through 5, might be able to go to the children's model hour. <coughs> oh To him this morning, number 103. Come to Jesus. Number 103. Brother Chris.
1: Good morning. I am relieved to, after uh, everybody thought Chris would be speaking, nobody went, oh, man. So. Um, I'd like to thank Jerry for the great scripture reading. I'd like to thank everyone for coming today. I'd like to thank you for uh, taking your time to, to listen, because this morning I want to speak about something that's really, really important, um, something that we may not be paying the attention to that we need to, and uh, and I hope that uh, I hope it helps us. Um, I'd like to thank the elders for allowing me to, to be here. I'd like to, to thank you for coming. I'd like to thank the visitors, especially uh, as always your most honored guest and we like nothing more than for you to come back at every available opportunity. Desmond Doss was born in fe- February 7th, 1919. He grew up in R- Lynchburg, Virginia in an abusive home where his dad re- frequently beat him and his mother. I'm sorry, I was told, and I forgot. Where he frequently beat his, him, his, him and his mother. When Desmond got older, He was beating his mom one day, his dad was beating his mom one day, and Desmond grabbed a pistol and put it in his dad's face, and he almost pulled the trigger. But his faith in God kept him from doing so, and after that episode, he swore he would never pick up a gun again. When World War II broke out, as all the other young men did in Lynchburg that were able, Desmond signed up for the Army. When he signed up, he told him, I'm a conscientious observer. I don't carry a gun. And it made for a really, really rough boot camp for him. Um, the other guys didn't understand. They didn't agree. They, they, they saw the, that he was refusing to fight the enemy. But actually, Desmond was refusing to fight the enemy. He had made a promise to God he would never pick up another gun. So he went in as a medic. He first had a first stint in Guam. And then they sent him to Okinawa. And in Okinawa at a place called Hacksaw Ridge, he did a miraculous thing. If you've never seen the movie, Hacksaw Ridge was a battle that happened where the Japanese had the top of the ridge, the top of the hill. And we were attacking from the bottom, and we had to climb a steep hill to be able to get up to that mountain. And Up, they would beat us back down. And every time we climb up, they would beat us back down. And every time we climb up, they'd beat us back down. And Desmond went up with him. Desmond's sole purpose there was to help. That's all he wanted to do. And he grabbed the first man that was wounded and he brought him to the edge of that rock face and he lowered him down to the bottom to the camp so he could be treated by the hospital staff. And he went back to get another. And as he went back to get another, he said, uh, he prayed. Lord, just let me get one more. And every time he would go back and get another wounded soldier and lower him down, he'd head back into the shells and artillery and rifle fire and grenades and pray, Lord, just let me get one more. I wonder, he lowered 75 men down from that rock cliff before he finally got wounded and they had to lower him down. And I wonder if he knew that that last one was the last one. We don't remember the last time. We don't realize it was the last time when the last time happens. I don't remember the last time that I came in from playing baseball with my friends and laid the glove down in the basement, propped the bat in the corner. I didn't say, well, we'll never do that again. It just never happened again. I don't remember the last time that my kids wanted me to pick them up on my shoulders and carry them. It wasn't that big a feat for them, really, honestly, but but I don't remember the last time that they asked to do that. I don't remember the last time I had mom's biscuits and gravy. I didn't know it was the last time. I got to talk to my dad. And there's more painful things in my life that I didn't know was the last time. If we knew it was the last time we'd hold on tighter. We'd breathe it all in. We'd make it count. Sometimes we don't know when it's the last time. Our life is but a vapor that appeareth for a short time and vanisheth away. We don't know when the last time that we will turn the doorknob to our house is. We don't know the last time we get to hug our loved ones. We don't know when the last time for anything. This may very well be the last time that I ever get to preach. And if I do, if this is... Then I'm going to share Desmond's prayer. Lord, just let me get one more. And it's not me, make no mistake, it's not me that gets you. It's the Lord that chooses you. He's just chosen this foolishness that is preaching to save souls. But if you haven't come forward, if you've not been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ... Baptized for the remission of your sins, made a new creature. Then I hope you're that one this morning. So with that in mind, I want us to take a look at one of the the one that does not care about us whatsoever. I want us to take a good hard look. Let me tell you something. I had an old man one tell me, an old preacher one time time, tell me that if you're ever going to preach about Satan, get ready because you're going to have a hard week beforehand. And man, that's the truth but I'm going to do it, because we need to know. We need to be reminded. We need to be made aware. I'm amazed at how many people wonder and ask when the conversation comes up, I wonder what Satan looks like. I don't know why people would ask that question. What does Satan look like? What do you think Satan looks like? There's been depictions of Satan throughout centuries, in paintings, and drawings, and Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, that movie, I, I don't know if you remember or not, they met Tommy uh, Johnson at a crossroads, and Tommy had just sold his soul to the devil. And Pete turned around to ask Tommy, what did this Satan look like? And, of course, Everett, being the know-it-all, jumped in. He said, well, though, although there's lesser names demons, the uh, great Satan himself is red with, scaly, with scales and uh, a bifurcated tail and carries around a hay fork. We are interested in what he looks like. Maybe so that we can see when he's there. But it doesn't matter what he looks like because he will look like whatever he needs to look like to get you to do whatever he wants you to do. In Genesis chapter 3, he was a serpent. And the Bible called him subtle. Perhaps he was a man in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. He was called a tempter. In 2 Corinthians 11... It says he can be transformed into an angel of light. Verses 12 through 15 says, But what I do I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory they may be found even as we. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transferred as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. He'll appear friendly. He'll appear logical. He appeared as, as, as uh, Eve's buddy. He will make you think you're, he is your friend, that you have, he has your best interest at heart, that what he is telling you is totally makes sense and is totally logical. The promises that he makes to you, he cannot back. The things he promises you are not his to give. It'll make you believe it. Truth of the matter, I'm sure that Satan loves when we spend time pondering about how he, what he looks like. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz, where the, the Wizard of Oz was, had the big evil-looking head, and he stood behind a curtain pulling the knobs and the levers. He said, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. He doesn't want to pay attention to what he's doing. He just wants you to wonder what he looks like. But the important thing isn't what he looks like. It's what he is, who he is, and what he wants. What is he? Job number chapter 1 shows him to be cruel, incredibly cruel. We know the story of Job. Job hadn't really done anything. But because Satan desired to have him, he lost all of his... Servants, all of his livestock, all of his income. He lost everything but his wife. Lost his children. Do you think at any time that Satan looked at his work there at Job and the condition he was in, skin covered in lesions and boils, do you think he ever said, Ah, you know what, maybe I went too far. Satan doesn't care about you whatsoever. He doesn't care if you lose your house He doesn't care if you lose your car. He doesn't care if you lose your job. He doesn't care if you lose your spouse. He doesn't care if your kids die. He is not our friend. Matthew 4, he's an exploiter of Jesus who was in condition of fasting for 40 days. I went 13 days without eating one time. It's hard on your body. It starts to eat muscle. Worse than that, you can't think. Your brain becomes foggy. I can't imagine after 40 days. Satan took that opportunity after 40 days to tempt Christ. Luke 22, through 31 through 32 says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee by, by th- that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren, sift you, Sift you as wheat. Shake you back and forth until you fall, until you break. In Luke 13, there Jesus tells of a woman who had an infirmity that she couldn't stand for 18 years. And Jesus told the ruler of the synagogues that Satan hath bound her. 18 years, couldn't stand up. You think Satan cared anything about that? Acts 5, 1 through 6, we're told the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And when Ananias said, that's all I got for this property, and he lied to to the Holy Spirit, we're told that Satan filled thine heart to lie. Luke 22, 2 through 6, and John 13, we're told that Satan entered Judas. You know, and that's not a possession Okay? Whenever it talks about Judas being Satan entering into Judas, that's not not a a typical possession. Because if you'll remember Legion, Legion tore himself, broke chains, injured himself, frightened people. We're told about a boy that that casted the the demon into him, caused himself to cast himself into the fire. Judas didn't do any of that. Judas did what Satan told him was logical, made sense. There's no doubt in my mind that, that at some point Satan told Judas, hey, listen, man, you've been around this guy for how long now? He's obviously not going to be the king. He's not going to do it. So you've wasted the last few years. Take some money and go. You've seen him get out of this mess so many times, nothing's going to happen to him. Because that's how Satan works. Making the illogical seem logical. Things that are wrong seem right. John 13, verses 25 through 27, it says, He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, is it, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is, who I give a sop, when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. He is not the one that we would normally choose to hang out with. He is not somebody that we enjoy his company. To that I would ask, How is he able to do this? Are we aware that he's there? Do we remain aware that he's there? Are we paying attention? (laughs) Pay attention. 1 Peter 5.8. I've quoted this scripture, I don't know how many times. Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And I quoted it like this. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about the earth, seeking whom he may devour. Because those are the action words. But I got it so wrong. It's true. He is your adversary. That means he is your enemy. At no time is he your friend. At no time is he going to do you a good deed. And he is a roaring lion that walketh about the earth that's seeking whom he may devour. It's not what he is and is truly important in this verse. That's not the important part. He is a lion. I remember when I was a young man, we watched Mutual of Omaha. I don't know if you all remember that. Mutual Home Office Walk came and had Marlon Perkins and Jim. Before Jim got the rolling into the deal. Marlon would step in as Jim's wrestling the alligator and say, hey, I'm going to tell you a little bit about insurance while Jim's getting killed in the background. But we would watch these things about lions. And a lion doesn't roar when he's hunting. That would be a bad thing to do, wouldn't it? You deer hunters out there, do you walk to your tree stand and say, I'm here, let's see what we can do. No, he hunts. He hunts. He pursues. He stalks. He lays snares. You are being hunted today. I don't know how far in the progress of his snare that you're in. But make no mistake, he is in the process of laying one for you. Because, first of all, again, he doesn't care anything about you. Secondly... He has all the time in the world and he knows your weakness. But lions hunt gazelles. I learned that on Mutual of Omaha. And they hunt gazelles not by flushing them with a roar and then chasing them down. They're stealthy. They're subtle. How in the world is a lion subtle? A lion knows that this gazelle has some advantages. You know, God gave the gazelle, he made them be as prey. He gave them some characteristics that would help them stay alive. If you notice, prey has eyes in the side of their head. Predators have eyes in the front of their head. Gives them better vision. They have ears that'll swivel. Gives them better hearing. They have a great sense of smell. And gazelles are incredibly fast. So how in the world would a lion ever catch a gazelle? Well, because the gazelles become complacent. Now I'll give you this. If a gazelle's born and has never seen a lion kill another gazelle, it may not know the danger of the lion. But if it's been around for very long whatsoever, it's seen a gazelle be killed by a lion, and that should make them pay attention. Hey, this is pretty dangerous. But that lion knows that gazelle's got to eat. It's got to have water. And it'll lay where that, it knows that gazelle's going to be, back in the camouflage, back in the bushes, where it can't be seen Upwind where it can't be, or downwind where it can't be smelled. It'll lay quiet so it can't be heard. And that gazelle comes along and it puts its head down into the water to get a drink. The ones that've seen it before are really cautious. They'll look around. They'll they'll come in from the downwind side. They'll take a drink and look up. Take a drink, look up. The ones that have become complacent walk in and they put their head down into the water. And you know maybe that. Water was a little bit too cool that day. Maybe it tasted just a little bit too good. And they put themselves in a position where the lion succeeds in what he's there to do. Sometimes gazelles get killed. Mutual never showed that. Mutual Volenhal never showed the ugly part, but I want us to see the ugly part. Where I got this wrong in this verse: "Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walketh about the earth, seeking whom he may devour." Where I got this wrong is because I always left out the first two, first four words. Because I wanted us to see the danger of this enemy, but I didn't ever use it to warn us on how we keep from becoming the gazelle. The verse actually reads, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walketh about the earth, seeking a human may devour. Be sober, be vigilant. If there's any theme to this whatsoever today, it's to be vigilant. Pay attention to what's going on around you. When I was a young man, my mom and dad bought a 1979 Chrysler Newport. It's not as cool as it sounded. And it was the first car that my dad ever had that had cruise control. And I can remember coming back from the dealership, and my dad was punching all the buttons and twisting all the knobs. And he went, hey, this thing's got cruise control. At some point, we went to the beach that year, and we were coming through Virginia. And I remember the lights went on behind us. Policeman pulling him over. And as we did in that time when we were young, that caused all three of us, me and my two brothers, to immediately jump in the back seat on our knees and look out the back window watching this cop come. Because we didn't have to wear seatbelts then. He pulls my dad over and he said, do you have any idea how fast you're going? He said, yes, sir. He said, I had the cruise control set. He said, I know you did. He said, I've been behind you for miles. He said, I was let you go. If you you at any time would have slowed down, I was going to let you go. But you've been doing this for miles. Cruise control. Man, it's made driving easy, isn't it? Because that's one less thing you have to do. One less thing you have to pay attention to. Put your hand on the wheel, especially on a highway, a straight highway. Put your hand on the wheel. Point it a little bit. Let everything else, let the car do the rest. If you need to bail out, the brake's just a tap away. Then it quits. You you're back in total control. Sometimes in our life, we get on cruise control. Sometimes in our spiritual journey, we get on cruise control. (coughs) Sometimes we have done this so long, we've read this so much, we've looked at, studied so much that we think, we've got this. And we get on cruise control. I'm a health and safety manager. It's... It's my job to know these statistics. There are 100,000 people injured every year in the United States from falling asleep at the wheel. And you wonder, how in the world can that be? How can you fall asleep at the wheel? That seems impossible. You're in command of this 4,000 pound machine. Going down the highway, traffic coming and going the other way. How do you fall asleep at the wheel? I went <coughs> One year when I was a young man, a buddy of mine and I went to Daytona Beach. And um, we drove, Worked all day, left the house at 11.30 at night, drove all through the night. Somewhere in Georgia the next morning, this, good, this friend of mine was notorious about falling asleep at the wheel anyway, and uh, out of the corner of my eye, I saw his head go down, and it came back up. And his head went down again, and it came back up. He's got a hold of the wheel, and his head went down the last time, and it never came back up. He was on cruise control, and I reached over and I grabbed the wheel. And I was watching the road and watching him, and suddenly he just jerked back, oh my gosh! I said, hey, I got it. (laughs) But you pull over. I'm going to drive now. Sometimes we fall asleep at the wheel. We don't mean to. It's nothing we set out to do. We just get there. We fall asleep at the wheel. We no longer seek him. We no longer walk with him. His instruction in our lives... We don't follow as much. And by little increments, we slip away. We don't seek Him anymore. The only way that we can seek Him is in this word right here. If you are not in this word right here, you are making yourself a target. If you get to a point where you're just too busy today, it's just been too long of a day, I can't... I can't muster the energy to open that book. You're making yourself a target. Walk with him. <clears throat> we need to be following his footsteps. But we need to know what those footsteps are. We need to open up the book in order to be able to know what the footsteps are. And then we need to walk with him following those footsteps. You know, there's safety in foot in following. When I was a young man, we'd rabbit hunt every Saturday, my dad and I, and then, and when I was about seven years old, he let me carry a gun, which was a Red Ryder BB gun. And I can remember I thought I was something. I had that gun, and I'd walk around with that. And I was following him through the woods. And you know, the great thing about Dad, when I he says, he, follow me, stay right behind me. So I would stay right behind him. And you know what? I didn't get hit with briars because Dad made sure that they were out of my way. I never got a, a, a limb smacked back and hit me in the face because Dad made sure that it was taken care of. I never had a rock that tripped me because dad said, watch that rock. My dad, when I would follow him, would look out for me. But I had to stay behind him. I had to walk in his footsteps. It's the same way here. This word will clear us a path if we will walk in those footsteps. I remember that the one time I was behind him, and I don't know why, but I pulled the trigger on that BB gun and it hit him right back in the heel of the boot. There's no way a BB penetrates a boot. But it didn't matter to my dad because he came unglued. Um, He threw a fit. It's a wonder he didn't wrap the BB gun around a a tree somewhere. But I lost the ability to carry that BB gun for quite some time. And I felt incredibly dejected. But it was a punishment. It was meant to teach me a lesson so that I did not shoot somebody with a real gun. The Bible tells us that He will chasten and scourge us, a son that he loveth. So when we mess up, when we quit walking behind him, we will get, we will be punished. And I'll tell you something about that. The punishment doesn't start out tremendous at the beginning. God tries to get your attention. But if we're not paying attention, if we're on cruise control, sometimes we won't get that message. Matthew 7, 21. I know I use this verse a lot, but this is so important. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The first sentence in that, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord. There are people that are saying, this is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Well, on the last day here, No. There are many saying to me, Lord, Lord, shunner of the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. There's the key. The ones that are going to say, Lord, Lord, were not the ones that were doing the will of the Father. Many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful, wonderful works? And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. But I called you Lord my entire life. I never knew you. But I did this for you. I never knew you. If I went to church every Sunday, I never knew you. I took communion. I never knew you. We can claim to know Jesus. Jesus. We can claim to serve Jesus. These people did. These are not people that are out in the street trying to beg and barter their way back in or into heaven after living a life like they wanted to. We can claim to know Jesus, but it doesn't matter if we claim to know Jesus. Jesus has to know you. And the way he knows you is that you do the will of the Father. Sometimes, sometimes the gazelle isn't complacent. Sometimes the gazelle just gets wounded. Something happened. Stepped in a meerkat hole. Pulled a hamstring. I don't know. He gets wounded. And these two gazelles come to the water hole. And one is keeping his head up, taking a drink, keeping his head up, taking a drink. This other one hobbles in. Obviously wounded. Who do you think that the lion concentrates on? He concentrates on the one that's wounded. And he zeroes in. We can become spiritually wounded as well. The cares of the world overcome us. It becomes more important to us than this. Because Satan does that. We spend a lot of time focusing on things we don't need to be focusing on. It makes us complacent spiritually. We worry about jobs. We worry about car payments. We worry about the house. We worry about this. We worry and 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 we worry. worry. And all the time we are just putting another brick on the wall. We worry, and we worry, and we worry. God said, hunger and thirst after righteousness, I got the rest. Follow me, and I got the rest. But instead of trusting Him that He's got the rest, we worry, and we worry, and we worry. And Satan continues to pound on that. To a point where we become hopeless. I can't ever pay all these bills. I can't, ever re- I can't fix all this stuff. I don't have the money to fix all this stuff. I don't have the time to do all this. It's just too much. And he piles on and he piles on and he piles on. And Satan continues to do that. The roof's leaking. Did you know that? Well, maybe you can fix the roof once you mow the grass. Once you can mow the, Or you, maybe you can mow the grass... Once you fix the brakes on the car, maybe you can fix the brakes on the car once you do this, and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Because we don't stop and say, God, you got this. It becomes overwhelming. I did this the other night or a few a month ago at a night service. I want you to please. There's a pencil. And there probably should be a piece of paper in front of you in the pew. I want you to write this down, please. 304-939-6739. That is my phone number. If you ever get... If you ever get to where you feel hopeless and overwhelmed and feel like you're drowning, and you don't have someone to talk to, you call me, please. I know where you're at, and I want to be there, because I don't want to see you pulled down. I'll do everything I can for you, and that conversation will never go any farther than me and you. But please, if you get to that point, call me. Because without hope, we can't do anything. Without hope, how can we face anything? When we lose hope, when we lose the vision, when we lose where we're at, when we lose everything, we can't do anything. But with hope, we can do everything talked to Richard Harp there a few months ago, and he was telling me about a, a man that was a member of the church in Deerfoot. He's not allowed to come to church. Um, he can't exactly worship with them because he's in prison for murder. And they have a program there where the elders go to this prison weekly or biweekly, and they, they try to tell these prisoners about Jesus. Well, this man has been baptized for quite some time and they kept being astounded at how joyous this man seemed every time that he showed up and he said how do you do it one of the elders asked him "Said how do you do it he said you've got so much evil around you you can't go anywhere your circumstances are bleak how do you remain joyful all the time And he said because I serve a God that loves me so much that he gave his son to die so that I might live He said, He forgave me of every sin that I ever committed. And he said, You know what the best part is? He doesn't even remember why I'm here. Separated from as far as the east is from the west, cast to the bottom of the sea, put behind him your sins. the love of god cannot be measured and yet we still go complacent matthew 6:34 says take therefore no thought for the morrow for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient to the day is the evil thereof pay attention be vigilant be sober 1 Peter 5, chapter 8, or 1 Peter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto the eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, stable, strengthen, settle you. Grace, it's a word we hear all the time. It's a word that we truly cannot fathom. We use it a lot, but do we believe it? Do we see it when it's there? Do we then practice it in our own lives? Genesis 3, picking up from the scripture reading. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves From the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree that I, whereof I commanded thee that thou should not eat? And the man said to the Lord God, and uh, and the man said, The woman who hath thou gave me, Gave us to be with me. She gave me the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, "What is thou? That ha, what is this this that thou hast done?" And the woman said, "The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat." And they killed both of them. No, he didn't kill both of them. He could have. He could have said, "Well, those first two didn't work out. Let's try this again," or he could have. Done any, many, one, any number of things. But verse 22 says, And to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats and skins, and he clothed them. Despite their disobedience, he met that with grace and love. God does the same thing for us you know, it's easier to stay in the arms of God than it is to try to find your way back. I want you walked away too far. But this morning, if you are a child of God and you are not where you want to be with God, and to be honest, if everybody was honest as they could be to themselves, I don't think none of us, any of us can say we are exactly where we want to be with God. But if you walked away just a little bit too far, I know. I know how hard that step is. I know it. But it's worth everything. Because if you stay where you're at, you're doomed. It's the grace of God that can save you, that's all. If you've not become a child of God, if you've never come to Him with a repentant heart, seeking to be His, submitting yourself to a watery grave of baptism where the Bible says that you will arise to walk in the newness of life. All your sins have been forgiven. Everything you've ever done is thrown into the bottom of the sea, is put behind Him, is separated as far as the east is from the west. This morning is the day the very morning to do something about that. If you have a need, any need, please, this morning, do something about that. Because if not, Satan will tell you why you shouldn't. He's telling you why you shouldn't right now. I know. I have been there. I've told this story before. That when I went forward to be baptized, the first week, I knew I should, and I didn't. And I felt horrible when I left. I said, Lord, if you'll just give me till next Sunday, I'll do something. The next Sunday, that first Sunday, I grabbed onto the front of the pew as they sang the song as hard as I could. The next Sunday, as we began the invitation song, I picked up my son. I can't possibly go up forward because now I'm, I've got my son. And there was a woman beside us went, do you want me to, uh, you want me to hold him for you? I said, no, I'm good. And I left, and I felt horrible again. And I said the third time, "Lord, if You'll let me, I will do something next Sunday." And you know the invitation song went all the way through. They said the closing prayer, and we were leaving, and an old man walked up to me and said, "Son, somebody told me you weren't a Christian." I said, "No, sir." He said, "When are you? When are you going to do something about that?" I said, "Right now." Satan will give you every reason in the world why you should stay where you're at. Every reason. And he'll make it seem perfectly logical. But if you do, you lose. Because you don't know when the last time is the last time. This may be the last time. This morning, if you have any need, will you not come as we stand the sing?
0: Come to Jesus, He will save you. Don't If you he give your heart day, Jesus.
2: church family. hope everyone's doing all right this morning. A couple announcements before we are uh, dismissed. Uh, Today's uh, potluck. Everyone is welcome uh, for that. um, There will be no uh, 6 o'clock service. We'll have 1 o'clock service. Life Group 1 is in charge of setup and cleanup uh, for that. Um, And after our 1 o'clock service, we'll be heading to Wingate for uh, seeing Uh, there at Wingate so I do encourage everybody to come to that also uh, Gary Leap's life group will be meeting uh, on September 17th um, after Sunday morning services for lunch Uh, more information will be coming soon on that I tried to get get him to host it today since we're already eaten so he would have it taken care of but I'll put that on me though Um, also uh, um, Wednesday, September 6th, Stepping Stone Supper. Um, barbecue is on the menu, so please uh, put that in your calendars. That's not this coming Wednesday, but next Wednesday. Um, also, we're still needing Bible class teachers for next quarter. Uh, start, new quarter starts in September. We're needing uh, teachers for the preschool age. Uh, that's the little kids. Uh, who doesn't want to teach little kids? I mean, they are they are so much full of joy and, and laughter and and also we're needing Bible hour teachers as well. So if you're wanting to help out with that, please see Connie uh, before you leave this morning. Also, uh, for youth events, this evening's the youth-led services at South Point. Uh, The bus will be leaving at 5.15 for that. Uh, Their services start at six o'clock. What a great opportunity for us to support our youth there at South Point. Also, remember continue to keep on our prayer list. Keep Jimmy Wilgus in our prayers. Um, keep Margaret and Jim in your prayers as well. Uh, Jimmy's, uh, I'm having a tough time. He's, he's scared. Family's scared. Keep Margaret in your prayers as well. Um, also keep Sean Maynard and Jim Haney and Amber Spitzer and uh, Tanya Shamblin in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatments. Uh, keep Judy Jordan in your prayers. She has an uh, ambulation, uh on Wednesday. Also keep Jerry's sister. Carolyn O'Neill, Olin, sorry, in your prayers, uh, she's been moved to Cornerstone. Also, keep uh, John Klein in your prayers. She's having a heart valve on Wednesday as well, uh, so keep him in your prayers. Uh, Jim Martin um, is going through rehab. Cynthia, is that still correct? He's there right now. He's there right now so keep Jim Martin in your prayers. Um, also, keep uh, David Hawk in your prayers. He's back home doing well, but uh, he's still recovering. Uh, so keep him in your prayers and keep Elaine Witt in your prayers as well. Uh, it's good to see her with us this morning. Um, but uh, Elaine Witt's brother, um, wife passed away unexpected last week. So keep them in your prayers as well. That's all the announcements I have. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 1 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer.
0: Let's please stand.